Welcome to the Data Knowledge Action for Urban Systems podcast series. In this series, we shall explore systems used to build intelligent urban systems, technology used to innovate systems capable of collecting, storing, processing, analyzing, and evaluating data on the most prevalent health-related issues in cities' different sector, like transportation, employment, housing, public health, and public space. This series is brought to you jointly by CoData, the Committee on Data of the International Science Council, Urban Health and Wellbeing Program, and Center for Applied Geometrics, Research and Development Foundation. Via this series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use converting data knowledge action systems for healthy cities. Hi, this is Shelly Gandhi from CEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on converting mobility data to knowledge for making cities healthier. In this episode, we have Professor Paulo Saldivia, Professor at School of Medicine, University of Sao Paulo, and Ruth Marshall, Director at Holcon Limited, joining us from Australia. This episode brings us interesting conversation regarding the mobility data, which has a major impact on human health. I welcome you both on this episode and look forward for the conversation. Yes, indeed. This is a most important topic because mobility is part of the the life of a city. Imagine that the city is a body with different organs, which are the neighborhoods, and we are the cells, the cells that compose each organ. The flow between these organs is like our arteries are necessary to commute, to interact, to take us to our jobs and to return us to home. And if a city is blocked by traffic jams, you have disease in these organs. You cannot uh, interact with the entire city. You are impeded to all the possibilities that a city offers. Also, you lose time, you get sedentarism. So the mobility data is an important marker of city health. In addition, uh, mobility data can transform and equalize the mobility through the city and being also point for human rights, human uh, dignity, citizenship, that permits that people can study, rest, gain time to take care of themselves of the people that they love. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess there's so much to to quite a number of different aspects. I'm kind of interested. So I guess from your perspective, Paolo, you're most sort of interested in how uh, that affects people's physical health in relation to pollution and other sorts of effects of different modes of mobility on people's health. Is that right? Yes, it's right. But not, not only physical health, because of sedentarism, the traffic accidents, but also mental health, or even in the development of a given citizen for the future. Imagine a poor, a youngster that has to work and commute, work to pay for his or her, her studies, and spends, like it happens in many cities in the world, three to four hours only commuting. These three or four hours, if used for education, probably will promote a better quality of life in the future because probably this person will have a higher salary. 
So uh, I think that uh, like in all complex organs like cities, the mobility is an instrument which is vital for the, the city to be not only sustainable, but also healthier. Right, okay. So I think sort of um, it's been mentioned before the whole sort of concept of slow cities and the whole, I know there's been quite a few things written about slow cities and how we might actually change people, just not just their physical health, but also their mental health. So the question then I have is how are we using mobility data to bring about the information or the knowledge that we need to make change, to make policy change and to make um, design changes to our environments and our cities and prioritise what we should be doing. The hardest question for me in all of this is what kind of knowledge we bring into that process in order to actually understand that data properly and then make the right policy. So who's going to be involved? The papers that I've read all around uh, slow cities and mobilities are fantastic, but they almost always involve analysis of uh, data by academics and by policy makers and what have you, but um, not as often bringing the knowledge in uh, from the local community. So my big question is, how much the local community has, or what kind of role the local community has to play in putting policy together with the background, with the backdrop and ability data that we have. So are they going to, how do we bring them into the conversation? How do we get them to have a voice in the policies that come out afterwards and participate in that whole process? Have you got any thoughts about that? Yes, Ruth. If I have a utopic vision of the future, but it's possible. You can combine mobility data in terms of speed, time spent in traffic to use to monetize the, the let's say the dismobility of that set certain cities do have. So it's like doing quantitative assessment of time lost. And it's getting very real the possibility of the you can use wearables that measure your blood pressure, mm-hmm. your status of stress by heart rate variability. You can also measure the content of oxygen in your blood, which is modified by carbon monoxide. Right. And uh, so if you combine making this data, each car or each vehicle as a natural laboratory of human physiology and the mobility data obtained by apps that detect your dislocation to the city, you have also the health of the city. So this crosstalk between these two data can, two sources of data, can, let's say, this researching mobility in another level. And also it has not only the conditions, such data conditions to promote public policies, top to bottom, but also, if an individual is aware of the consequences for ease of her health of this disturbance uh, of mobility, you create the conditions for having policies bottom up. And then probably you, you have a contrast. Uh, people that are more less affected, people that are more affected, then you have a case control study you can see what the people that have a better pattern of mobility do for themselves. So you can emerge solutions 
community solutions, perhaps people organize themselves in order to solve the mobility problems in their locations. I think that's a near, uh, a very near future. We have uh, much more ways of breaking this wall between policies established by academics or in the office and uh, crosstalk with local solutions and with our enormous potential for education and changes of habits. Well, I mean, so that's, that's interesting. A couple of things interest me greatly, and in that, that, in fact, I've talked to um, to a few people uh, about quite recently, colleagues uh, of Shaley indeed as well. And that is, one, one of them is around agency. In other words, people's ownership of that data, of the data that's being contributed into, contributed into that analysis. Um, what choices do they have about uh, how that is contributed, um, what recompense do they get for it, uh, and what is the privacy uh, implications of gathering that kind of data. Um, mobility data is is probably right up there in the top sort of um, privacy sort of um, risk uh, types of data because it really does say a lot about people's, well, motion, where they've been, uh, how long they stay there, all these sorts of things. So. How do we protect people's privacy? How do we make them feel comfortable? That data is not going to be used uh, against them in some point in the future. And there's definitely technologies that we're working on um, to, to look at that, to, to, to systematically measure privacy risk and be able to mitigate those. So, but I think they need to be built into the fabric of however we, we do this measurement. The related piece is that is the concept of the question of the citizen scientists. So, um, instead of just taking data from people's wearables and taking data and mobility data from cars and other, other things, how about uh, crowdsourcing that data and actually having the, the people that are contributing that data be the ones that are doing the analysis on it? So taking them along for the ride all the way from the beginning, from contributing that data in um, to owning the process of, um, of analysing it, uh, and coming up with the knowledge and the actions that come out of these um, citizen science projects. I think that's something that really excites me. I think it's something that get traction in a way that we haven't really been able to get with some of these more top-down, sort of academically driven projects, mainly because the way in which the data is broken up into so many different areas of ownership, it's very hard to get hold of that data. If you use the citizen science projects, you can start having people contributing that themselves, their own volition. Yes, you are right. But, uh, you know, this is already happening because the, the measures are not, does not have to be in real time. I, let me give you two examples. There's a group of high vulnerable uh, people uh, uh, affected by air pollution, which are the hypertensive and those with cardiac arrhythmia. They have a halter system that measures episodes of arrhythmia. And uh, also, the, uh, they have some people have a, a continuous monitoring of air pollution that they use during 48 hours. This uh, information is stored in files. Uh, and so you can see if blood pressure increases during uh, uh, traffic jam. And also, there are studies showing that after two hours of traffic, a person with a uh, cardiac arrhythmia increases the arrhythmic episodes significantly. So then you can use this, you, you, you can see what, what type of uh, transportation 
uh, uh, this group was using at the moment that are worse or better. So you can, there is some prehistoric or pre or very early measurements using mobility data, combining mobility data with health effects. Uh, so I, I, I sincerely believe that with adequate uh, ethical uh, constraints and volunteers, you can do a sample in the city and measure in which extent. So this mobility affects your health. You can also, after a day of stress or after long hours of traffic jam, it's probably that you're not very relaxed when you arrive home. How was the sleep in this following night? How much the quality of sleep was affected? So there are some experiments that can bridge health objectively. So without with quantitative data of health dysfunction. And you with this information you can monetize it, monetize the consequences of this, and then probably we have we can do the analyze the consequences. Uh, not only health effects, but also money spent and uh, discomfort. Well, that's interesting. So I guess it's still the question then of, yeah, of, of getting trust in terms of people um, con contributing the crowdsource component, like how well you slept or what have you, unless you've taken that from, from wearables as well. But um, so the next question then is where where that moves into the into the action piece, right? So what are we doing about getting inputs into uh, mitigations, right? So there are a lot of different things that we could do to avoid people has heart you know, blood pressure going up when they're in traffic. Um, how, who's going to participate in that sort of planning piece? That's the piece that interests me. If we close down major streets and slow cities down, as uh, has been proposed in some areas, and it's being done with some success in some cities, how is that going to affect people's lives that have been traveling those streets the last decade getting to work? And uh, how are they going to get part, become part of that solution? Yes, I think that this data, a mayor or a stakeholder or something in charge of traffic and planning the cities of future, they should know, they would be interesting for them to have, which is the best buy, which is the investment in traffic that results in more benefits. And the question should define the benefits, not only in speed, average speeds, you can track reduction in air pollution, uh, walkability, active mobility, and also benefits of, on health. But the benefits, not only in terms of counts, but also money. Money is uh, due to increased use of medication and also to years of life lost because of disease or premature death. Mm -hmm. So I think this, if you have this combination of information and the output in an artificial intelligent system, that uh, the outputs would be speed, uh, communication in the city, but also consequence of health. Yeah, and these consequences in terms of numbers of people affected and money spent. Or this could be an offer platform for a mayor can, can take actions. Also, I sincerely believe that uh, traffic is highly important source of health inequality. So the, uh, the city doesn't uh, move the citizens not it's not equal 
So the poorest, the, those that commute long hours, those that use public transportation insufficient, especially in developing countries, are that they pay the highest price. So uh, I think this can provide uh, this input of, uh, of massive data on mobility also is a very good instrument to track cities' inequalities. Yeah, I quite agree that, that there's a lot of that um, as indicators of inequality. And, and actually, the converse is also true. It's not just the, the type of, tra of travel that they have to do, but what they have to travel for. So if you're living, and, and again, I don't know, this, is a good, this might be very specific to specific um, countries and economies, but a problem that we have here in, uh, in Australia, uh, in certain parts of our ma major cities, uh, is food deserts. So as food desert is a locality where uh, you don't have the availability of um, well-priced supermarkets or other healthy food outlets. Um, there's often a lot of uh, fast food outlets, which is cheap and very unhealthy, but you actually have to get onto public transport and travel quite a long way in order to go and shop for healthy food. And obviously that's always the case uh, that these food deserts are in lower socioeconomic areas. Um, so you're actually traveling more um, and, uh, and, or, and eating less healthily just because of the, of the area that you live in. So I'm assuming um, we could also look at issues like that using similar data. This is a very good point, Ruth. And also it can add not only a food desert, but a, a heat highland. The traffic yeah. contributes to, to the heat highland. So, and you have cities basically motorized by automobiles uh, that the parking lot occupies enormous amount of, of soil. Yeah. So, uh, so there are many, many creative ways of uh, using those data to yeah. promote a better planning. Absolutely, I, um, I I agree. I think um, and, the, and the high cost of parking cars taking up uh, in, you know valuable um, land in city centres is, is a big one, as well as the as heat islands, as you mentioned. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you know what's the beauty of working with traffic in cities is that you never you never you die because of boredom. There are so many problems to be. <laughs> to be solved is the complexity of the question, <laughs> which is a complete challenge and support and you yeah. get a solution is quite rewarding as well. I agree. As long as we can preserve people's privacy, protect the, the security of that data and, and do it in a way that doesn't break anyone's privacy, then, then I'm good with it. Thank you, Ruth and Paulo. It was really very interesting conversation. And of course, I agree to the fact that challenges with the city and mobility never end. And every time you come up with something new and the solutions are extremely important to make your cities healthy. Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data Knowledge Action for Open Systems podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website, www.crdf.org and follow us on social media. Please leave a review, like, and share wherever you listen to the podcast. Look out for the next episodes and join us next time. Thank you.